0: everyone and welcome to the neil haley show on the caregiver dave celebrity segment i'm excited to welcome to the program caregiver dave nissani dave and i guess Hi. noble
1: Hi. dave now too right you yeah have two now doing a lot of interviews uh for gas prices going to the moon everybody wants to talk about it absolutely dave and we are, who are our guests today and a really great film and really uh, i i'm excited yeah, to I'm excited. chat about today go ahead i'm excited i'm excited too Jennifer Cooney and director Tracy Wren for the upcoming Rainbows and starring Ed Asner, the great Ed Asner and Sean Young. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having wow.
1: me. All right. So let's
0: go. Let's go with back and forth questions and what you guys can do. Jennifer, and Tracy, if I'm asking either of you or Dave's asking, one of you can answer the question. So it's not it's not a not a big thing. So let's just <laughs> jump into specifically who got involved in the film first and they can answer. With the whole project. Go ahead. Jennifer. Yeah,
2: right, yeah so. I, got, I got involved in the project back in 2015. Uh, Joe Orlandino from Atlas Media Ventures, he's the producer that brought this whole project together. He hired me to write the script. So Tracy got involved a couple of years ago. And after having a bunch of drafts hammered out before she came on, she came on and we fine-tuned the draft in the, the final script even further to what it is now.
0: You know, it's interesting. And then I'll get right to Dave is the process of Jennifer. Once you have that vision in place, finding the right team to put, to make it happen. Right. That's not the easiest thing in the world. Is it for any type of, <laughs> any type of business movie? It doesn't matter. Right. No, but it's the fun
2: part. It's Absolutely. The part, bringing all those different visions together and everybody's passions coming to the forefront and watching everything come together. It's wonderful.
1: So I I want to ask what it's all about, but first I want to ask you, you know, what are your backgrounds and how you two got together?
3: Well, uh, my background is um, I, oh gosh, I started as a a writer. I've been a writer for years and years and write a lot of things. And, um, you know, poetry, uh, short stories, working on a novel, eventually started writing scripts and realized that uh, filmmaking was another way to tell a story. And so I eventually went to film school at USC. Oh, my
1: alma mater.
3: Oh, we're fellow Trojans. So um, yeah, and so this was my third feature. And I'm really glad I had the experience of the first two because just because this one moved very quickly, uh, there were big people on on the cast. Actually, I had made a short with Ed Asner previously called Autism and Cape about oh. a grandfather who spends a day with his autistic oh. grandson. Yes. Ed, Ed really supports Autism Speaks. Um, yes. hmm
0: so I was at I, the I, one film thing when Ed was there. Uh, I did. I was on the red carpet for the whole Autism Film Festival when it was there uh, in I out was, right outside of uh, L.A. Do you remember that? Is uh,
3: yeah. I'm not sure I was not that one but uh, there was another big one in Miami that uh featured uh-huh. the film but yeah so he um you know I when I read the script I I love the script there it's so it's so interesting and has many levels and great dialogue great characters and I just thought well wow, I bet Ed could play um the main character's father a gunny and so um I sent the script to Ed and his daughter Liza, and they liked it a lot. And then I I let Joe Orlandino take over from there. And and just to say, Ed got to Ed flew in for one day into Chicago, and he was put up at the Drake Hotel in the President's Suite. <laughs> so, wow, I, I love that part of it. I-
0: <laughs> yeah. I- Absolutely. And Jennifer, when you first uh, approached Tracy, what were your thought what were you thinking when you were, you approached Tracy about this project?
2: Well, that was also through Joe Orlandino. They had met previously at AFM. And Joe said, you know, I have some projects that you might be perfect for and Tracy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a year later he contacted her and said I have something for you and Tracy read the script and came on board.
1: And the rest as they say is history.
2: Yes.
1: So what is the, what is the story about, without giving it away?
2: Yes, it's about a prominent lesbian couple, who one of whom is a politician and runs completely on the platform of acceptance. And she and her partner Jules adopt a child who has severe behavioral issues. So very quickly, their stance of acceptance gets put in the spotlight, while they question. Um, How do you accept the unacceptable and that's very much the question that we ask throughout the film and we hope that people take away from it questioning what they deem unacceptable and why
0: and tracy in the uh, the movie it took place at a certain time period where there was less acceptance isn't that correct tracy
3: yes it uh i believe um it starts in the the early 90s and uh the condition that the syndrome the little boy has this XYY y, so he has an extra Y chromosome and um, it's actually it's not hereditary it's something that happens at conception and uh, it's just an anomaly but about one in a thousand guys has it all over the world and most men never know so um, but hmm. the di- uh, it was just being studied at that time for the first time and there were lots of misconceptions and as the film progresses, Uh, The psychiatrist tells them that she said, you know, actually a lot of research has been done. And so some of the original uh, things they were told uh, about their little boy, who's four when he's adopted, uh, turn out to be more or less certainly not fact and but there's a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy going on because they've already labeled their son. And it's it's hard to escape a label.
1: Yeah, very, very challenging. You know, I have a an autistic grandson. They found out at a very early age, they adopted him because they couldn't get pregnant, but then they st- they got pregnant afterwards. And uh, he had Asperger's and it started out with some scabs on his head and they looked at them. And I was wondering, does this film go into uh, the child getting older because there's so many different issues the older they get. Now my grandson is in jail because when he was a teenager, he got involved in the wrong crowd and uh, manslaughter, and oh. uh, it, it can really devastating.
3: It, it's easy to be uh, misunderstood, I think, and that's part of what the the journey of the film is: is that the the two parents uh, grow to they gain sympathy for their son. He he's about uh, you know a twenty twenty two when the film okay. ends, so he he goes through a Uh, you know jumps a lot of hurdles and eventually not to give a spoiler alert but he ends up in the military and really Mm. finds himself Uh, there and by the time we meet him at the end of the movie he's he's not that little boy that they thought he was at the beginning
0: wow and I think, and I think also, Jennifer, the difficulty with the parents is the fact that they're having to deal with a challenging of acceptance at the, at a certain time period that they're dealing with. And now they have the other challenge, right? To be accepted as a lesbian couple, but now with an adopted child, but then have issues with that adopted child that adds an even cha- a more challenging component. Right, Jennifer? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I I think that they were the perfect mirrors for each other because back in the the late 90s, early 2000s, it certainly wasn't completely acceptable to be a lesbian couple, let alone a lesbian couple adopting a child. So it's kind of like the evolution of their journey as lesbians in the spotlight and Bo's journey of having this label and watching the evolution of that, they just very perfectly mirror each other throughout the 15 years that the film takes place in.
1: Yeah. Was this all done during the pandemic during covid? Uh,
3: just before. We just missed it. So that was <laughs> lucky you. Oh, thank goodness because we were uh, at least 50 people on set every day and we shot uh, for 8 oh days solid with a couple of breaks in between and you know in really close quarters so it would have been a So very all that
1: All that was left was the editing during uh, yeah. covid. Wow. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Which took a long time, but you know, <laughs> sure,
1: that. always does.
3: Uh huh. I mean, one thing about the parents is is the two women are on a an, an extremely steep learning curve as parents. Even if their child had been a perfect little angel, um, I mean, you know, Neil, you have children. It's parenting is hard, no matter how how perfect your children are. So,
0: mm. my the- kids are definitely not perfect, and it ends up being two teachers kids because I'm a former teacher my wife's a former teacher that's always the the challenge that we how we control our classrooms not how we control our home you
1: know it can't be done that way and time is 100 for special needs
3: right so you you know it really and experienced parents do better with a a, you know special needs child at, at least at the beginning but it it does it probably rarely happens that way you know
0: And it drains them so much, regardless of what type, what couple uh, kind of couple, right, Jennifer, that, that, the draining of the special needs really can drain a family in so many ways because they're the, the acceptance outside the home and understanding the challenges and the draining of the, you're trying to keep a relationship going yet. You're dealing with so many more challenges. I wish that there was more out there to really be a resource for families with special needs kids.
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the, the interesting things to watch is the evolution of their relationship with each other in, in response to Bo's behavior in their life, because it's, you can watch as the years jump, they're still the same person, but you can watch them getting more and more tired and exhausted <laughs> and hitting their breaking points. And it, it really, um, it drives their growth. And that's really what the film is all about
1: yeah that, that was my next question because i'm a caregiver and so i naturally was drawn to this thinking okay well what message are we going to send other caregivers you know how they can uh, not get burned out and, and get some self-care and take care of themselves etc and uh, i guess that message is in there too
2: yeah well, you said it's self-care it, that's really you got to fill your cup first that's the only way to overflow to yeah. others right
1: And then
0: one thing, Dave, is we always think about caregiving as caregiving, and the pandemic's changed that tremendously. We think about caregiving as caring for an elderly person, but not, or someone who was in an accident or certain things like that, but we're missing a component even in the conversations of caregiving or how people answer it when it's caring for children, especially with children with with special needs. And uh, I mean, I think that's what makes you happy about the film as well, Tracy, is to be able to really shed light for this as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, right at the beginning of the film, on the day that they're going to pick up their little child, one of the um, patrons of the cafe looks at, at Hannah and just says, wow, I just cannot see her as a parent. You know, so it's, uh, even their friends know that and are surprised that they're taking this on. Like why, they they don't need to, they're, it's just something, it's their inner need, I think, because um, as a lesbian couple they felt ostracized in some way and they feel that this little boy is like them in that same way. And I think part of their uh, Mm, their challenge is is to stay together. You know, in many buddy movies, one of the goals of every buddy movie is that the buddies stay together and you wonder if they will through all of their adventures. So the, this is like a buddy movie in that way. And that's part of the struggle. Like what, how much of a toll will it take on their yeah. relationship?
1: And what choice do they have? I mean, are they really willing to watch this little child who they probably have bonded with and have grown close to and love very much. Let the, let it go, wonder who, well, who's going to take care of him. I know what he needs. I know, you know, how to deal with him. I have the patience already for it. Uh, you just can't do it. And and you never know what you're going to do until you're in that position yourself.
3: What I also love about the two uh, characters, the parents, is that uh, Jules is a little more empathetic right from the beginning and She's more into, you know, let, let's do this in a natural way. She's very hesitant about medication and
0: right.
3: so on. And Hannah's more like, let's just get the job done. <laughs> okay. yeah. do whatever, need, whatever it takes, let's go for Drugs. it.
0: Drugs. Isn't it always funny, Tracy? Opposites always attract, and instead of uh, similar people in so many ways. And, that, you know, yeah. and that's so true. Now, um, Jennifer, how's the feedback been so far for the film?
2: I have been delighted with the feedback so far. You know, it's really wonderful to hear people appreciate that it's not about lesbians coming out or dealing with coming out. It's about lesbians living their life and adopting a child and, um, you know, hearing everyone's reactions to the characters, you know, watching them be different in how they navigate that. And um, people are having a really strong response to Sean Young's character and the comedy that we get out of that. Um, really strong reactions to the end and how much it's affecting them emotionally. And it's just been really wonderful getting this kind of feedback from people.
1: Yeah, wow. And
3: and all, you know, when you, well, in this, my third feature, you know, you wonder, are people going to pick up the little details? Is anyone going to see this but me? But they are, they're getting it. I think every every small detail that we had to work for, even if it was a new camera set up it, it's paying off now you know all yeah, time. yeah. It's,
1: it's a it's a great message because I believe everyone is eventually going to either become a caregiver or need a caregiver and this is a great practice session people will have this in their memories oh my gosh what would what would I do if that happened to me you know maybe not with an uh special needs but maybe with an elderly parent and so on so good for you I think uh, it'll be embraced by the caregiving community which is a third of the population, by the way. <laughs> Thank
3: you, Dave. And, and also, I just want to point out that children without any, quote, special needs can still be very difficult, challenging. <laughs>
2: children.
1: Yes, 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 uh, yes. Challenging. Every parent will say amen.
3: Yeah, it's it's all, uh, all kids go through, you know, terrible
1: challenges. twos. That's enough to pull your hair out.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, trouble at school or trouble with the law. Yes, anyone. Um, teenagers, you know, can when the hormones are shooting off and all this stuff, it, it, anything can happen, really. So
1: yes, I especially know. with I to, the. I have three daughters. I know,
0: <laughs> especially with the especially the pandemic because the pandemic brings this this different atmosphere for our young ones, especially uh, our teenagers and how they've been stuck in not been able to socialize like they normally do, even though they do mostly socialize on their phones. The difference is that they feel like isolated in so many ways, especially the ones that aren't able to go to school. So, that's another great point that you made, uh, you know, uh, Tracy, that that parents are dealing with a lot right now, more than a lot ever. Yeah. And it's just, uh, and some people are dealing with it one way by just not I- ignoring really what's happening in our environment right now with COVID while other parents are following the guidelines, doing what they need to do, but yet are suffering so much mentally. So that's the too bad factor that there's just a a direct polar opposite that some parents are dealing with versus others. But again, we're doing it to keep people safe. You know, we don't want this, this virus to continue to spread. So um, Dave's final question is a caregiving question. And Dave, I never in all the time I've worked with you, and this is about three years, thought I have another angle that you really need to focus on, especially with this pandemic. And that's parents and their caregiving that they've had to deal with, like especially moms out there that have to stay home with their kids and how their mental health has just gone. Yeah, just such a challenge that they never get to go to work. We want to get back to some semblance of normal, even if they're offering the ability to work uh, from remote. That's not always the option that people want. I think they want to get back to offices. Let's hope so. Yeah. yeah. But good at good, Dave, with the, your uh, that, that caregiving question.
1: Yeah, you know, I've I've interviewed at least uh, 150 uh, celebrities, and every single one of them, almost every single one of them had an amazing caregiver story. I, I like to get personal stories, uh, Jennifer and Tracy, uh, how has caregiving touched your life? I mean, are you living it? Has it happened yet? Because if not, it, it will.
3: Um, well, I, my parents are in their 80s and they're, they live about um, 80 miles away and thankfully they've had the vaccination now, but I was really, really worried about them until then. But they're actually doing great. They're definitely young at heart and they're uh, you know, they together and they, my mom rides her bicycle still and they, they get out and do a lot. Mm. Uh, but I do have, um, I have children as well and I have the son who's home from college and has been home for a year. In fact, he came back from Pittsburgh on spring break and uh, came on March 7th and by that Friday, the uh, the everything had shut down, and oh. so we we canceled his ticket for Saturday. Um, I I don't know I when I ever I uh, meet babies on the street, I always step back and pull my mask off and smile <laughs> so badly that babies don't know we're humans that we're real people <laughs> behind these masks. And I read an article in I think it was in the New York Times about. Many many mothers feel like failures right now Hmm. because they just they don't do for their kids, and I I feel that too. Like, you know, my son's doing some online classes, but he really has only two people that he sees on a you know weekly basis.
0: it's
3: just not enough. Yeah,
0: socialization is such an important part of life, and this yeah, good.
3: Think about meeting a a significant other, you know, and falling in love. How many people did you have to meet before that happened? <laughs> so if you're if you're not meeting anyone, that's a whole year gone.
1: Yeah, I common, bet. Young I bet romance is suffering uh, this whole uh, last year. Uh, fewer marriages, uh, hopefully fewer divorces. I don't know. Um, I think I more. To, I think it's
0: going to be more. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> it's I forgot to mention.
1: Up. I forgot to mention my personal story. I I've been married 45 years to my wife, beautiful wife and halfway through she had a headache for three days found out it was a stroke she lost her speech became paralyzed on one side and after gosh about a two and a half year grieving period we we kind of reinvented ourselves and now my ministry is out there to caregivers 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do just from the stress and so um my wife has become uh, amazing. I mean, she still can't talk, but she can communicate non-verbally through Pictionary Charades, two games I hate. And she has a power chair. So we get around, we travel a lot. So Jennifer, what's what's you have a story?
2: I do. Caregiving is very much the fabric of who I am since I was young. Um, My brother also has Asperger's. Um, Mm. He's two years younger than me. He Mm. didn't speak until he was two. And it was, no one knew how to identify what was going on with him. At that time it was just maybe he has motor skull problems maybe right. it's maybe it's that it just wasn't a common diagnosis um and when i was 16 my grandfather died and he was just the patriarch of our family he was mm-hmm. adored by everyone and everyone kind of fell apart and i moved in with my grandmother and took care of her so um for a year and it really changed who I am in a really positive way. It just made me have a respect for life and a respect for grief and what people go through. Sure. Um, and she's, she's still alive today and, you know, doing well. And it just made us so much closer. And I really treasure every moment I have with her. It just changed who I was.
1: Well, I'm always looking for guests on my caregiver, Dave, uh, radio show syndicated in all 50 States and 135 countries. Uh, remember me of uh, a caregiver, either can help other caregivers or actually needs to go to caregiverdave.com dave.com and
0: right. get rejuvenated. I, just, I think Dave, you got to rejuvenate moms now with what they've <laughs> dealt with. I think that I don't know why that's not, I've heard that mission a little bit before, but you're focusing on an area that there's a lot of services, but when you talk about helping moms through this or parents okay. through this, uh, especially with special needs, you could really touch a lot of people's lives, especially and. the, uh, you know, the, especially the autism community, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, Jennifer, I was a former teacher myself and I taught and I was a, I'm an educational advocate, still do it. I represent families at IEP meetings whenever they need help uh, with what's happening with the school districts. So parents need to know that. And it's really a powerful thing and to help them even in, in that process and get in front of that in those meetings, but those meetings are a lot Different now with the virtual world. Cannot wait to get back in a boardroom. You're not as intimidating. You walk in with a suit, you know, on uh, in the, going into a physical place than being online. So we got to get back to normal. Let's hope, let's hope. But that's why you know a lot of parents that have suffered and are you following the guidelines. Let's hope that everyone could, so we can get back to normal. So uh, best place, guys, we can check out the film and stuff. Jennifer and Tracy, where can we go? Oh, uh,
3: it's the Les Flix website uh i guess let'sflix.com and you will see uh rainbows in there and in fact uh it's our official release is day is uh international women's day which is monday march 8th that's
0: perfect timing okay so perfect timing to do this interview because we'll release it on monday then that, yeah. that's great that's uh, awesome yes, and, and that's, we're having a,
2: a live watch party and also uh, a live q a with the cast including Ed Asner and Sean Young, Christian Stolte, Melanie Chandra, mm-hmm. and two leads, Janelle Snow and Amanda Powell. Tracy and I will be there, and our producer Joe. Mm-hmm. right after that,
1: That's less as in French. L-E-S. yes.
2: Correct. Less as in lesbian. Less. Flicks.
1: Oh yes. <laughs> See, that's Dave in his age. I
0: I I got it. This is really interesting, and it's uh, come on, Dave, over <laughs> your head. And he doesn't mean
1: it. He's just I thought dating. they were talking French. I don't no, know. No, You can utilize that
0: in two different ways, Dave. But no, Dave, all the way over I, said. But okay. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by and uh, again, great, <laughs> great, great content, great information, and really like the fact that we can really talk caregiving, talk about special needs, and also talk about inclusion and how we can include others and 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 diversity and all those things. So it's a great story. And I hope everything goes well with the film once it releases. So thanks. Thanks. Okay, yes. Good so luck. Much
3: so much, and thank you too, Dave.
0: Thank you. It. All right, all right, guys. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Love all right, you. guys. Bye. That was the carryover, Dave. Celebrity segment. Take care, guys. Neil Haley here. Lensac has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensac. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop Enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise Level Video Management Software, Perspective VMS, is a browser based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 lensec live here what's your perspective and i'm excited to welcome to the show jake parker of sia jake thanks for stopping by what's your perspective how are you thanks neil happy to be with you oh yeah yeah it's a cold cold time of year for us especially in Pittsburgh and all over the country, I guess even in Texas, uh, they're going through some stuff too. But our topic today, which, you know, it started in a conversation we had before Jake regarding uh, facial wreck with a certain uh, situation was going on in the state of New York. And we thought, well, let's just go with jumping with this topic of what facial recognition is? Because again, we see, you know, CSI or all those different technology shows where, you know, really are we at the latest type of things to say, oh, we were able to identify their face through facial recognition regarding cameras or some sort of uh, device. So can you define, first of all, what is facial
4: recognition? I think the simplest way to explain this is it's basically a photo comparison technology. So it's photos, whether it's taken on the spot or a photo, for a still photo from a video or a photo that's on file. Um, it's, a, it's, a t- it's a technology that compares photos and tells you how similar they are. So uh, it's used, facial recognition really is defined into two different types of applications. One is verification, which is uh, also known as authentication, where um, it answers the question, is this person who they say they are? So someone who's already um, enrolled, verifying that they're that this is the identity. And the other application is identification. So often used to help identify an image of an unknown person, whether they're in a database that is that's used by the system. And a lot of times that, that sets a great way for
0: authorities or, or the security department to find the perpetrator very quickly, right, with facial rec.
4: Yeah, and really, there's there are so many different applications. Um, it's in, they can be very complex. Uh, you know, you've got ranging from literally opening your smartphone, uh, and, and, you know, Apple products use the facial recognition technology to do that. All the way, to, as you mentioned, uh, you know, criminal investigation is trying to um, uh, more accurately and, and faster uh, look, identify suspects in a crime or even witnesses or victims of the crime. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then that's, and it's so important because without that technology, the perpetrator will end up getting away or the specific person that was involved in an incident.
4: There's no proof who that person is, correct? Right. Right. And there's so, so just to sort of the background, as far as in the United States, um, you know, the, the law enforcement has been using the technology for about 10 years. And uh, it's been used in hundreds of thousands of cases. There are actually many, many uh, success stories of cases that would never have been solved without the assistance of the technology. Um, you know, missing persons cases, cold cases, things like that. Um, there really is a, a, um, a track record, you know, of success there. And uh, one thing to point out too is, in uh, all the law enforcement applications we know of in the United States, the Technology actually aids investigators uh, normally in, in, in investigating initial leads on a case. It's not used to verify someone's identity as far as the computer result. It's got to be done by the investigators um, through other means. But that's typically how it's used here in law enforcement.
0: Interesting. And when, I think, when you think about specifically enough, what are people's thoughts on facial recognition, especially what has the research shown?
4: So, there's been some controversy in recent years um, about the technology. And I think really, um, you know, it's kind of in two areas. One is people are concerned about uh, the potential uh, use of the technology to, to, um, you know, increase government surveillance of citizens. And we've seen many technologies in this way in other parts of the world that we don't want to see happen here. And then there's also been a lot of questions about the accuracy of the technology. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that's been based on some misconceptions and some misinterpretation of research um, that's out there. But I think what has um, another reason why we were talking about this more now than we, we were before is technology has gotten so accurate um, over the past uh, three years even uh, that it's, it's opening up more uh, commercial applications and more government applications that were contemplated before because of its, uh, of its performance. And as far as what what people think about the technology, we actually at SIA commissioned uh, one of the leading uh, independent research uh, polling firms um, to conduct a public poll of Americans this last summer. And they talked to a thousand Americans in a demographically represented sample from all different parts of the country and found really overwhelming support for use of the technology, especially when uh, it explains uh, some of the very specific current ways the technology is being used you know, as distinguished from kind of the hypothetical ways we've seen like in the movies, you know, about how the technology uses. Exactly. So, you know, 70% support use of the technology, think it'll make the country safer. Um, interestingly, about 70% also support its use in ways that would make their workplaces safer, uh, which really deals with the whole uh, different set of uses uh, surrounding access control and security systems. Um, 63% support the ability of homeowners to use the technology in their home uh security systems to uh, to open the doors and things like that so uh there, there is a wide level of support across different use cases you know law enforcement received the most attention though as we just spoke about um, right. but even there six percent uh supported law enforcement's use of the technology were you surprised by those numbers when that came out i was because if you you're only reading the media narrative about the technology unfortunately You're not going to get the the facts, and um, but yet it seemed that 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 could really influence public opinion. So far, it seems that that doesn't really align uh, with where people are at at on this, and especially as we see facial recognition technology uh, kind of becoming part of our daily lives in in many ways, um, I think that's going to continue. What have you what What were you hearing from the media? What is the media saying about facial
0: rec? Like different stories that come out.
4: Yeah. So one of the uh, uh, concerns is about the performance of the technology across different demographic groups and across races. And w- with the the um, you know concern, and I think this is a, a deeply held concern and a legitimate one that you don't want a situation where law enforcement is using the technology in ways that uh, would increase the possibility of misidentifying someone. If it doesn't, if it's not as accurate for certain races, obviously that's a that's a concern. Um, you know the almost all of that uh, the, the the science behind that that allegation comes from a single academic paper in 2018. They looked at you know black women, for example, uh, near a very high error rate, like 30% error rate. And of course, that uh, result has gotten repeated over and over and over in the media um, in in assigned to facial recognition when in reality, situation is much different. Uh, The National Institute of Standards and Technology, known as NIST, uh, is actually the world's leading scientific authority on facial recognition accuracy. They've been testing the technology for over 20 years. They looked at demographic performance in 2019, which is called Snapshot in Time, and what they found was the leading technologies actually performed uh, evenly across all demographics without any noticeable differences. At the same time, they did find lower performing technologies did have a significant difference, and some uh, statistically significant difference across those groups. However, the spread between the accuracy rates and performance was really only a few percentage points. All of them performed in the ninetieth, in in the nineties, high nineties accuracy rates. So, there is an issue that that needs to be addressed. The industry continues to address. But it's not nearly the magnitude that it's being portrayed in the media. Interesting. And how do you need to be responsible as a person who's using it for surveillance purposes? So the main thing is, um, you know, and this points this out in their study that you have to know, you need to know the algorithm that your technology is using. So sometimes uh, an integration will involve more than one algorithm, but they'll or a specific one. But the performance—you uh, can't characterize the performance of all facial recognition technologies in, you know. As as all being extremely accurate, or you know, it's hard. You can't make generalizations about it. It depends on what that particular algorithm, how it performs. You also need to know what what is the performance metric that is the most important to your application, which will vary. Um, so it's going to be different. What if, if your idea, if your goal is flow management, you know, that's going to have a different accuracy measurement than if you're verifying someone's identity for. Uh, a, a uh, financial transaction, you know, where it needs to be. Uh, the accuracy is just different as far as what the performance you need. So I think the main thing is to know your algorithm and many of these uh, algorithms are, are NIST tested and they test them on an ongoing basis. And you can find the information on their website. Interesting.
0: And I think that that, that process of being responsible with your surveillance is important, but I, we wouldn't, some people just don't understand it. Right. Meaning like other security professionals, might understand what the technology does, but yet don't know that they're doing the wrong
4: thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that the if you, the information you need about the accuracy of the technologies should be available to you via NIST or you know via the manufacturer, uh, but it definitely you would want to make sure it's matched up to your to your purpose. Definitely.
0: All right. So you know, going into this, where do you see facial recognition going, and like latest trends in this in the next couple of years?
4: So certainly, uh, you know, you should be aware that there there is a, um, a movement by a number of uh, advocacy organizations that have banded together and demanded uh, that there be uh, laws in place that actually completely ban the use of the technology, often in a blanket way that doesn't distinguish between these different uses, you know. Certainly, uh, you know, we understand the uh, privacy and civil liberties concerns about the potential for the government to use this for some kind of mass surveillance way, which we would not support, and the members we work with that produce this technology right. wouldn't support that either. Um, but you know, if you're if you're talking about an access control implement, implementation where it's a uh, enables multi-factor authentication, um, you know, there just isn't this. There isn't civil liberties concerns with that type of application, and even privacy. We're talking about an opt-in application and certainly data needs to be protected um, and there's many ways that's done but these just aren't the same things and unfortunately what we're seeing is um, for, uh, proposals to ban the technology in a way that pretty much bans either all public sector use or even private sector uses without distinguishing between these um, these uses and we would prefer to see you know if there's concerns about a particular use um, you know we, we prefer to see those addressed real directly. In specifically uh, in in policy uh, versus a blanket uh, ban or really um, difficult uh, restrictions uh, that just apply across all use cases.
0: So, why do you think that there's this push for a ban of this technology?
4: Is there any well, reason? I, th- I think there's 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 a lot there's a lot of reasons. There there's um, you know there's a longstanding um, uh, concern among you know privacy. Um, advocacy organizations about technology and its effect on our privacy. And they've been, we've seen this happen. um, So 15 years ago, it was RFID. All right. RFID was going to be big brother, you know, attracting you wherever you go and things like that. And there's, there's so many reasons why um, that's not the case. And and now it's used in everything. Right. And I think that's kind of, you know, you know, that's where things will go. Um, I'll point out too, I mean, these efforts have had some limited success, um, you know, at the municipal level, there's been a number of cities that have banned the use of facial recognition for, um, you know, city government use clustered around San Francisco, Boston, suburban areas, and it's more recently uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and then last week in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, so, but in those places, even, even there, there's some exceptions, so, for example, in Minneapolis, um, access control and security applications were uh, exempted from that, uh, from that ban. So there's some recognition that there's a difference across, uh, across use cases. At state level, however, there have n- been no blanket bans um, enacted uh, that, are, that are broad like that, even though it's been proposed in you know, a dozen states.
0: Wow, okay. Um, wh- when do you, we use, do we see facial recognition, especially in, let's go first of all, with the public sector?
4: Yes, yeah, so in the public sector, you know, there's, there's a, I talked about the law enforcement history also um, even longer than, than that. So more than 10 years ago, many of our um, driver's license issuance agencies and ID issuance agencies have used this to make sure uh, that there's no fraud occurring um, in their issuance. So people aren't creating uh, legitimate uh, IDs, but on false uh, false identities and which and that fuels all kinds of criminal activity, you know um, you know, Drug activity, human trafficking, I mean you name it, that's that is what's needed to, to propel a lot of that criminal activity. So that's long-standing use. Just about every state uses facial recognition in the driver's license issuance uh, agency. Um, it, but I think emerging or other public sector uses, I know um, certainly in for um, access control and security, that's a, a growing area. I think we've seen more growth in the commercial sector for those uses than the in the government sector so far. But as we're now recovering from the pandemic, um, there are actually a number of facial recognition-enabled um, applications um, that are going to become really important and are just really taking off in the in the private sector. of Being able to um, you know prove prove your identity, but also right. uh, provide proof of your you know vaccination or uh, test COVID test results. Um, and that we we actually I was just speaking with one of our members who actually provided this technology at the Super Bowl. So all of those. Uh, uh, healthcare workers that were guests at the Super Bowl. Wow. They did. They use this technology to um, uh, to verify their identities and their status uh, as they came into the stadium. That's pretty cool. So,
0: yeah. And then in the you see more, but you're seeing it more happening in the private sector than the public sector.
4: Yeah. It. Currently, I would for those applications. Yeah, I would say for, for access control and security is more more so in the in the uh, public se- the private sector um, at this time. Um, you know, however, I know there's there there is um, there's several implementations I'm aware of um, in the school setting. So in K twelve, right. schools Where uh, the technology is used to alert security staff if someone who's not permitted to be on school property um, does appear to does try to enter the building runs it runs a check on them that way in a very limited use case you know making sure we don't have sex offenders and and uh, other people who are not permitted to be there uh coming to the school uh, and those have had tremendous success i was talking to one school district that implemented a system like that and within the first two months they had flagged three you know sex offenders wow. needed to kind of adjudicate those situations and go down and talk to those people
0: and also looking at for an active shooter situation that would be also utilized really well in schools especially if some they've had violent activity and we're kind of tracking to see what they're doing right to make sure and then that they don't come to this building because they have certain offenses not a criminal record could be another reason to use facial recognition right especially of someone entering a school that shouldn't be on school grounds
4: sure and i think that's one of the things there's kind of this misperception uh, by some that the, using the, the technologies there to Track students or to or to, to police students, and that's really not how it's being used currently in those in those um, in those projects. And it's based on a threat assessment process that occurs completely outside the technology. Every school district ha- um, it has a threat assessment process of some form. Um, you know, that gets information from the local community, from the local police department, but also from their own information about uh, folks that they need to um, that they need to watch and to make sure they don't come on the school property.
0: Very interesting. And so thinking about, we talked we talked about, again, the, the public sector, school districts. Does this happen in any other public sector? Do you see a lot of facial recognition cameras on, uh, you know, like in the streets and stuff? Not yet, because that's the big cry, right? Not to have those. Especially, you know, how you have cameras in certain
4: municipalities they're not really facial rack ones, are they? Uh, Yeah, so there's actually not that many municipalities that actually own and operate their own surveillance networks like in urban environments, but there are some, and and, um, I'm not aware of any that are running facial recognition as part of those systems. But, um, you know, and again, like I said, law enforcement uses are really forensic. They're not real-time surveillance uh, applications right now. And and we haven't spoken with any law enforcement folks that are are really wanting to do that, to go that direction. but that is an important distinction. I think one area one other public sector is, uh, is mass transit. I think we're right. some benefit in, um, you know, addressing you know, emergent situations, um, you know, uh, or, or threats of some kind that someone makes there or even finding missing missing people. So
0: you have all these articles available at the, on the CO website. So the latest trends, different articles, different things people can go to where, Jake? Sure. Yeah. So go to
4: website securityindustry.org and go to um, uh, policy issues and facial recognition. We've got the results of our poll. We've got a NIST versus facts document. We've also released a uh, principles for responsible and ethical use that we hope can guide policy making in this area and many other resources. You're hoping, in a lot of ways, is that tech
0: don't fear technology in the continue because it's going to help security
4: in the long run, right? Yeah, look, we don't want to see a, a ban on technology that has very real and proven benefits, um, but we, we think we can address the concerns about the potential uses of the technology in, in public policy that that does just that without ban- completely banning the use of the technology. And I think that's, that's the way things uh, should go.
0: Well, Jake, thanks again for stopping by. Look forward to having you on a much more on different topics in security. Uh, anything new coming up that you want to talk about with we'll SIA? Any new news to report?
4: Uh, we'll just look at we have a um, conference called the Government Summit. We'll be doing it in three parts virtually this year. So we'll be on the lookout for information about that. Uh, it'll be April, June and September. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, policies that affect the uh, deployment of security solutions, so including facial recognition, but many others as well. Awesome. Well, definitely have you back. Thanks again, Jake, for
0: stopping by. Thank you. All right, guys, that was What's Your Perspective? Lensec Live. Check out, go to lensec.com live to check out all the information. I appreciate you guys and tune in next week for another great What's Your Perspective? Take care.
3: Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots
5: today. Hi, Andrew. It's Neil Haley Show. How are you? And what is our topic today? Andrew Shatkin here, who's a guest on the Neil Haley Show. I'm very pleased, Neil, that you allow me to talk on your show. And I think I hopefully do you think people listen to
0: it? Andrew, I got five million listeners. I get the major celebrities all the time. You're on the
5: same show with all those. So trust me on that. And uh, okay. yeah, so uh, a few false idols. It's a chapter in my book essays on the Christian worldview and others uh, on pages. Uh, pages thirty one. And um, first of all, uh, I'm a Christian, and I believe in the, the truth of Holy Scripture. At least I try to adhere to it. However, uh, backward or, or foolish I may seem, and people have different religions and different thoughts and different ways to approach life, and that's fine. You know, there are all kinds of ways to think and all kinds of ways to live your life. Uh, if you're a, a Islamic person, you have uh, the right to practice that religion or a Hindu or whatever. I'm sure they have many good qualities in their systems of thought. I don't doubt it, but I don't know it. I can't comment on it, but that's all I can say. But it does say in the Decalogue that we can't have graven images. Now, uh, I um, that's very important. Yes. Because God, God is telling us, if you believe that, that particular aspect of the Ten Commandments, if you believe that, that um, it, 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 it is making it clear to people that God, that the Jewish God and Christian God is a spirit, he, and therefore he cannot be seen as, as a stone idol. He's making it clear that it's a mistake. But there are other kinds of idols in our world that operate today in the same way. Uh, there are some people, for example, worship their wealth or their materialism. They may say that uh, they have a Lexus, a BMW, a Mercedes, and that makes them great. They may worship that. And then they may, some people may say this, this is very common, Neil, uh, particularly in the New York area where I live, where people feel they have to be smarter or better educated than other people. Some people put that as an idol. They're smart, right? A lot of people want to be smart, right? Don't they do? They truly want to be smart. So where are we going with this, Andrew? Where are we going with this? But that is a mistake because there are other qualities and smartness and intellect. There's love. There's consideration for others. There's charity. There's goodness. There are all kinds of good things to do rather than being smart. And and another way uh, that people worship themselves or worship an idol is they feel they're better educated or cultured. Some people would great emphasis on culture and education. Uh, and they may say, well, I worship that. That's the idol I worship. Or they may say that I'm smarter than other people. That's the idol I worship. Other people may worship their physical strength. An athlete may see that's the main thing. So these are ways of people worshiping exactly. idols. Exactly. There are ways of, of, of trying to raise yourself above other people. I think it's a waste of time. I don't do it. At least I try not to do it. Because I don't think that trying to be better than other people gets you anywhere. I don't think it's true. And another another, per, another way uh, that people may say uh, that their are peers, that they're good looking. They may say that raises them up. That, may, that is a kind of an idol that raises them up. Other people will take the position. I have religious faith. And that makes me better than other people. Not as, I'm talking about not stone idols, as it says in the Decalogue, but these are all way, kind of idols that people use to raise themselves up. I think so. And uh, some people may go for their looks, right? They're, a woman. you think? Let's yes. put it this way. Do you think some people because they're better looking may feel they're superior. No, not at all. Well, some people raise themselves by their looks, particularly in today's world. They, with the images on people magazine and uh, cosmopolitan and stuff, you got to be good looking today.
0: Don't you Neil? I do Andrew. Okay. So where are you taking me on this one? Tell me where I'm taking
5: you. These are all ways. These are all kinds of idols. Other than the stone idols referred to the graven images in the Ten Commandments. These are ways of worshipping something. A kind of idols. These are idols in a sense. These idols are uh, materialism. These idols are being smarter than other people. These idols are being cultured and better educated than other people. These idols are having physical strength above other people. These idols, as I said, are uh, appearances and looks. These are ways of worshiping qualities in ourselves. And we do that. We do that. This is a temptation. We do that because we want to feel we're better and more superior to other people. And some people, not as many as used to, will have the idol of their religious faith. Uh, So really, these are ways of, of, of having an idol in our lives not not like the stone idol talked about in the decalogue but these qualities that we use these idols which i just defined idols to raise ourselves up all right okay so these
0: idols give us so basically these idols are important andrew and it's important important to you and me i don't think so are you are are, are you going i don't think
5: be i don't think i don't think it's it's particularly important but that's how people want to be important no
4: yeah, I don't. Absolutely. I
5: think that God I think God attaches equal value to every soul and person in the world, not because of their culture, not because of their wealth, not because of their intellect or their beauty or strength. Any of those qualities that that every soul is treasured and loved by God. So uh, that's about Much I have to say about this. Uh, All right. So shackinshow.com is best place to
0: find you and purchase your books, read your blog right. and everything. Right. Right. All right. Well take care, Andrew. Appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you. Can soon. I talk to you a minute, okay. uh, Neil?